Hey everyone, producer Ryan here. Michael and Abadesi are still on a break at the moment, but new episodes are on the way. In the meantime, we're throwing it back to an older episode on whether you can be too old to start coding or to begin a startup, growing your personal brand and tips for networking. Our OG Techish fans may have heard this, but it's all still relevant and applicable in 2021. Enjoy the episode and remember to engage with us on at TechishPod on Instagram and Twitter. I want to talk about a tweet that I published. This would be a week ago now, and it seemed to catch on. A lot of people could resonate with what I was saying. So I tweeted, I learned to code at 24, and I felt like I was ancient at the time. And then I left my uh, full-time employment at 27 to start a business, and I felt like I was super ancient at the time. And how, in hindsight, both, both of those thoughts were absolutely ridiculous and just complete BS, but I was convinced of it. And obviously I was convinced of it because the dominant media narrative was learn to code at 13 and, you know, I was writing basic and I'm a whiz kid. And then even entrepreneurship wise, it was like, yeah, I started my company when I'm 19 and now I'm a billionaire. So it's like how harmful media narratives can be, even though they seem kind of innocuous, it really can F you up in the head. You know what I mean? Like, so if anyone's listening to this, just maybe ease up on the amount of content you're reading and just focus on doing you. And it's never too late, really. Yeah, I think it's really important to remember that, especially if you're from an underrepresented background, the, le- the, the playing field isn't level. 100%. And a lot of the people that have had meteoric rises to fame have more privileges than the ordinary average person. 100%. So when we start to compare ourselves to that trajectory and fail to take into account all of the hurdles, you know, the visible ones, the invisible ones that we have to jump to get there, we're basically just doing ourselves a disservice. Mm. And I'd even link that to a, a quote from a pocket article that I was reading earlier today. Mm. I forget the name of the interviewee, but she was basically saying we need to stop having this harmful narrative around stepping out of your comfort zone to grow. Oh yeah, I don't know what Because for that. underrepresented people, let's say being a black woman in a mostly white male startup, even just showing up mm. is already so far out of our comfort zone. Mm. Just showing up to do the role that I was hired to do mm. and deal with the microaggressions, the feelings of exclusion mm. is already such a battle. 100%. That the fact that I can do that and function and be sane mm. and healthy mm is already a stretch and an achievement, mm. let alone now I'm going to push myself out of my comfort zone and carve out new challenges and yeah. and exciting yeah, things. I remember Googling, going on Quora, and every learning to code article on Quora was like, I'm 25 years old, am I too old? I'm 28 years old, am I too old? And it's like, so what's making us think those, those things? Like, where does, that, where does that stem from? Where do you think it stems from? We're ageist. Yeah, the industry we is very ageist. We are in an ageist society. And, and industry, particularly. And, and industry, yeah, definitely. There's this idea that tech is new and innovative and only young people can have new and innovative ideas. But yeah. that's completely false because if you actually look at the average age of founders that are raising series A, B, C, D rounds, they're in their 40s. Real talk. Like the average? Yeah. So yeah, we need to stop being ageist. It's that whole cyclical media thing where on the one hand, we say it's the media. Like the media is always judging people who are older and like showering us with all these images, but we're also the ones clicking it. Yeah, real talk. And the media just reflects ourselves. So I think we, and I'll hold myself to account, I as an individual need to be less ageist. Oh, you would say you're ageist? Yeah. What makes you say that? You, you just the other day tweeted saying you're old. Right. No, I didn't say That's I was ages. old. I didn't say I was old. Yes, what did I say did. I was old? Well, how sweet. 
It was like tweet. You like tweeted something, and you're like, "Oh my god, I can't believe I thought I was ancient." I called myself. Yeah, but I was saying I thought I was old, but right. I wasn't. Is what and I'm saying. And now you realize you're young. Uh, I mean, see, listen, see? hold on. See? Let me let me break this down. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with being your age. I'm 30 years old, like, but the distinction I'd make is when you say that I'm 30, therefore I can't do X. That's the problem. It's not about acknowledging right. how old you are, and even if you are old, even if you're 60 years old. Acknowledging that you're old doesn't necessarily... You shouldn't therefore say, I can't do... Try something new. Exactly. Or take uh, risks. Or take risks, okay? It's also about risk appetite, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. And even like starting my own business, like starting to do pocket. I was working for people that were younger than me. At the startup I was at, they were probably about three years younger than me. So sometimes even the reality in front of you is enough to confuse you about those kind of things. I thought, man, these guys started when they were 21. They didn't even go to university. I've, you know got a master's degree like i'm maybe just maybe i'm an academic and maybe i'm not cut out for this yeah and like i've passed my windows to, to do the young startup thing like and it was all bullshit and it's sometimes you have to remember the kind of neurotic thoughts that you had at the time yeah to kind of quell your current neurotic thoughts if that makes any sense yeah so when We're we started this podcast yeah we are <laughs> when we started this podcast i was like i talk too fast i talk in slang who's gonna want to listen to me right mm. Then I had to Good think. Question. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You, you've had to stomach almost 20 episodes worth, <laughs> it, right? So I thought, I shouldn't do this podcast. No one's going to want to hear what I've got to say, right? So I had to go back and think. There was a time when I was afraid to do what I'm currently doing. So fuck it. I think an important thing to remember as well is that we are just a really like hypocritical and judgmental society. Because mm. while on the one hand, we're saying things like tech, well, startups have a preference for young people. Yeah. We, we glamorize young founders or look what they achieved at this age. I know that it's also really frustrating to be a young person starting your career or running a business and not being able to command respect or authority yeah. because people judge you for your age. So exactly, like that's almost one of the more frustrating things about being a 20-something or even a teenager, mm. that on the one hand, everyone's trying to push you to achieve as many things as possible while you're still young you know the youngest ever vc the youngest person to achieve this Mm -hmm. but then at the same time once you hustle and grind and work hard to get to those positions you find yourself dealing with older people who don't necessarily like respect your opinions or respect your judgment Mm. so it's 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 a difficult one it's a difficult one i think very difficult the moral of the story is do you i think the irony is you yeah 100 percent. i agree do you um do you find it ironic that you probably would get more respect as a young founder than as a young employee? Like as, as a, in it's our crazy. industry, in our industry, being a young founder, you'll get utmost respect because people don't know if you're the next Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> so the VCs will take the meeting and they'll Line listen to trust. you. Yeah, because maybe you know something that they don't. You might know what the kids like, right? Mm. For example, like how many VCs just didn't get Snapchat? But if you had a, a 19-year-old Evan Spiegel in front of you, they would listen to him. But then if you're a 19-year-old employee... Going up yeah. to the CEO of a Yeah, company. it's not happening. It's not happening. They're not yeah. going to want to hear what you've got to say. So it's kind of, there's a lot of nuances to kind of this whole ageism debate. I was going to make this, ask you a question. So, you know, both of us are past the 30 mark. And I know when I was younger, I was like, by the time I'm 30, I will be a millionaire. And there's no doubts about it. That's my goal, right? And if I don't hit that, then I've failed. You are. If you convert it to a currency. Oh, there we go. Zimbabwe I was about to be like, huh? Dollar. I was like, well, you know something that I don't? No, Zimbabwe yeah, If I go to Zimbabwe, yeah, yeah, yeah. Shout out to Mugabe. I know he's not around anymore, but yeah, shout out to him. Because they had the trillion dollar note at one point in, in Zimbabwe. Inflation was See? so horrific. You right? could have been a trillionaire. I could have been a trillionaire. All right. So I thought I would be a dollar millionaire. Okay, there we thing, go. Right? US dollar. At least by, like, that was my goal. I was like, if I don't do that, then I failed. And obviously, I didn't hit that. Did you have similar thoughts? <laughs> 
I wanted to be on a six-figure salary at there we the go. very right. least. Cool. I, obviously, I wasn't aiming high enough. Um, but yeah, I think when you're 18 and 19, 20, let's say even 21, by the time you finish university, you look at those last three or four years and think, wow, my life has changed so much. I've transformed so much. You assume that the next three years will follow that same pattern. Mm. So you go, okay, I have three more sections of three years, nine years from now. I'm going to continue on this like exponential trajectory of development and learning and realization. Mm. And obviously I'm going to get to six figures. And then you remember that you are a black woman in a white patriarchal society. And what happened to me, which is almost what led to Hustle Crew, was that I got to like seven years down the line where I was like, okay, I'm still not on six figures. What's going on? Mm. And then started speaking to my like alpha male high achieving homies. And some of them were. And I was Dang. like, oh, what what, what went wrong? You're yeah. like, oh, you don't negotiate your salary. I was like, yes, I do. And like, oh, you need to ask for pay rises at regular intervals. And I was Jeez. like, oh, yes, I do. Um, the reason I'm sharing this part of the story is because, of course, there are things that I was disappointed I hadn't hit at that time from the gaze of my younger self. Mm. But from the gaze of my present self, there are a lot of things that I'm grateful for. And mm. I also realized that those things that I didn't achieve are not my fault. Yeah. They're not a failure on me. Yeah. Yeah, it's difficult. I think so many young people right now are, you know, going through what we just talked about. And I'm like, I have to make it by 30 or whatever making it is yeah. to them. But why? I mean, we're going to live to like, uh, you know, God willing or whatever, universe yeah. willing, 100 plus. The first person right. to live to 150 is born years ago. So going all the way back to what we talked about originally, it does come down to media narratives where we're so inundated with the idea of the young person who's made it by a certain age and is working remote in a beach in Bali with millions of dollars that we're all like, fuck, if I don't do that, then I haven't achieved what I want to achieve. And I think just slow down. You've got time. Chill out. Not chill out. In a sense, don't do your work. Obviously put your work in, but don't come up with those arbitrary, you know, dates to, to hit something. It's not necessary. And you'll probably be doing yourself a disservice in terms of your personal happiness if you do. Like, I became much more happy once I just let go and was like, I'm doing the best work that I can right now. And that's what matters. Apparently, it's easier for that to happen when your prefrontal cortex stops developing. I can believe that. There is a level of immaturity that I once had that I can't fathom having that kind of immaturity. And it probably has a lot to do with biological changes that happen in my body. Like, as, as like, you know, my testosterone probably got a bit smaller, so I was less ego-driven. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, I'm older now, innit? So, like, a lot of things I was like, wow, my ego was through the roof. Like, but a lot of that is biological. Um... But yeah, man, stay strong, everyone. So another hustle tip I wanted to do was around intros. Because mm. intros are like the the fuel of the startup game and the tech game, introing people to make connections, leveraging your network, mm. coffees, meetups, calls, etc. Now, I am of the belief that you should get permission before sharing someone's contact details with 100%. someone else. 100%. Okay. 100%. So imagine my surprise when someone in one of the communities that I run invited me into a WhatsApp group, my phone number, with someone I didn't know. And then Just started, the three of you. Sorry? Just the three of you, basically, in yeah, the WhatsApp yeah, group. Yeah, just three of us. And then this person who I didn't <clears> even know basically started making all of these demands of me. Um, not the most polite person, asking me to give them copies of my book, discounted, et cetera, et cetera. Matthew. I responded saying, I don't check WhatsApp. So, yeah. you know, also here's a link to my book. And no, I don't discount it. Like, yeah. Support black women writers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And this person was just like, oh, you know, I have a PA. I don't know why that was even relevant. But I, I was just like, why am I even in this? Like, this is my number. I was just blown away. I was shocked. So my hustle tip is like, people, seriously, like, unless you want to get blocked <laughs> Which you and will. blacklisted yeah. from people's lives, people that you value, please ask their permission before you introduce yeah. them. Yeah, I mean, like, I thought that was just a given. I mean, to be honest, a lot of people don't do a double opt-in intro, even with email. So double opt-in intro is basically, if I wanted to intro Abadesi to somebody, I would first ask Abadesi, do you want to be introduced to this person? Then I would go to the person that I'm doing the intro for, I'd say, I'm going to introduce you to Abadesi, right? This whole, like, introing people without their knowledge, it's a faux pas, man. Don't do it. Like, I, I, you don't know how to respond to those emails. Oh, this is so-and-so. Like, they kind of do something diversity-related. Do you want to speak to them? And I'm like... No, like I don't know. What to, I, I kind of have to feign interest in the email. It's it's coming from a place where they're trying to be helpful. We've got to come up with new rules, man, of just basic etiquette in this online world. Let alone WhatsApp. That one when you told me that, I was like, <laughs> "Nah, that's too much." Isn't it? That's it's too just much. Crazy. Because WhatsApp is a space where we operate, and then it could be Messenger, it could be whatever you know personal chat app you use, where we oper- where we communicate with our friends, our family, you know. So let alone doing something professional, it's just weird. I really so had icky. to say something. I was just like, this is an invasion of my privacy. And, you know, at the end of the day, you should almost have all of your network in hierarchy, mm-hmm. right? So let's say I was introducing my sister to, I don't know, one of my cousin's friends, right? Mm-hmm. I speak to my sister all the time, every day. My sister will happily do a favor for me. If I'm introing my sister to someone, mm. she's not going to be offended. She might be busy. She might not be able to help in that moment, yeah. but she's going to reply, Okay. Yeah. Now, let's say Arlen Hamilton. Yeah. I have Arlen Hamilton's email. Yeah. I'm not just going to be casually dropping Arlen Hamilton in at that same level of ease that I might my sister. 100%. Because she is at the top of the pile in terms of people that I know. Yeah. So, And your relationship is not as strong. Thank you. My relationship isn't as strong. She has less free time than my younger sister. Like, you know, my younger sister's busy. She's studying her PhD, but relatively. Cool. But, you know, it's the intimacy of the relationship and it's also how much I value her time. So what shocks me about that is also that it's not only an indication that you need to re-educate yourself on boundaries and privacy, but it's also you're kind of sending the message to that person about how much you value their time. Of because course. in an ideal scenario, you also want to be like entering people with as specific as, as possible an explanation of why you are doing it and mm-hmm. how they can help each other. Because another example of a bad intro, beyond not getting the permission of the people you're introing, but is also one which just says, oh, I thought it would be good for you to talk. Oh, you're laughing. What do you want to do with that? Like, what do you want to I do get that? something like that at least three times a month. You seem to be very popular. What's going why on? Why don't people just say, <laughs> you are looking for mentors for Hustle Crew and Non-Tech Tech, yeah. and this person would be a great mentor. Tell them about how yeah. to get involved. That is a great intro. I think I figured out also why the WhatsApp thing feels so egregious is because every platform has certain prescribed behaviors. So for example, with email, it's not rude for me to take two days to reply back to your email. It can happen. People expect that, right? We're trained exactly. for certain behaviors. I can give you like a, a, like a what's this thing called? Um, you have one set up. What do you call it when it's like? Auto reply. Auto reply. There we go. Right. But with WhatsApp and like Messenger, people are trained to have instant replies. And what that says is that you think that on a professional level, you have instant access to me 24-7, whenever you want, at your discretion. And that's exactly. not okay. Like, we all need personal boundaries and space. So that's why email works, because everybody's trained to understand that I'll get back to you when I can. Not, whereas WhatsApp, 
We say now. I can see you online. There's blue ticks. Why haven't you replied back? Exactly. That kind of behavior. I don't want that in a professional setting. I actually turned off push notifications on WhatsApp. Dope. I only have my Slack notifications on when I'm at work. Um, but yeah, it's it's empathy. I feel that bad intros come from a lack of empathy. Yeah, lack of consideration. So as you know, I run a community within Product Hunt called Women in Tech. Shout so it's a space within Product Hunt where women in tech can share their goals Mm. in public, what they're working on, and offer advice and help. And one goal that I saw shared recently, which I'm asked a lot, uh, is I, you know, I want to raise my social profile. I want to work on my personal brand. Mm -hmm. Does anyone have any advice? So I thought it might be really valuable to share some tips on that, because ultimately, no matter where you are in your career journey, whether you're just starting out or maybe you're about to launch a side hustle or maybe Mm. you're in transition Mm. and trying to find a new opportunity, Mm. people will Google you at some point. So it's always nice if you do have some online presence where people can get an understanding of what you're good at, where Mm. you add value. So I just wanted to like share some advice on that. Um, I think like one of the easiest ways to raise your social profile in a way which is like relatively enjoyable as well is to start creating content or either mm-hmm. around the work that you do or mm-hmm. around your interests. Yeah. And I know what some of you are thinking. I hate writing. I'm a bad writer. Well, listen, writing blogs is only one way of doing that. 100%. I've been so inspired by the number of people who've launched Instagram channels focused around their areas of interest. A mm. really good example of that is an Instagram channel called Thing Testing, run by my friend Jenny, who's a VC here in London. And she just loves products. And she also loves aesthetics. So mm. she wanted to create an aesthetically pleasing Instagram channel. Mm-hmm that highlights some of the popular products that are out there. And then she analyzes them from the perspective of a consumer as well as the perspective of a VC. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also start doing IGTV. You can do YouTube. You can do vlogs. You can use Twitch. You can do really whatever. But one very simple way is to just become that creator of content mm-hmm. and start talking about things that you're interested in. Maybe even start talking about the field that you're trying to move into. Yeah. Or start interviewing people in the role that you're trying to transition into. Mm. But yeah, creating content of some form is always one valuable way. What's good about that is that you also then grow your audience. Yeah. Because let's say you only have a few Twitter followers. If you start creating videos or writing short blogs, interviewing people in this specific field of interest, you will then start seeing like-minded people mm-hmm. drawn to your content. Now, these people might be other fans like yourself that are trying to get inspired through your work and and move in the same circles as you, they might be more senior people. They Mm -hmm. might be people that could open doors and create opportunities. So content creation is really just the first thing I'd say. The second thing I'd say, specifically for people in tech and startups, is you have to be on Twitter. And people say like, oh, you're obsessed with Twitter, you love Twitter. And I was like, no, look, Twitter are not paying me for this, okay? (laughs) I've never met Jack Dorsey in my life. But all of the who's who in tech are there. Mm -hmm. They're using DMs to communicate with each other like it's an email inbox. They're liking each other's tweets. They're retweeting each other. It's really through Twitter that I was even able to start developing a relationship with Arlen Hamilton and the rest of the backstage capital team. So if you're interested in raising your social profile within the tech entrepreneur startup game, you really have to be visible on Twitter. And it's as simple as following the people who you are interested in following. If you're a crypto founder... Get involved in that crypto game. If you're a beauty, fash tech, whatever, who are the big journalists that write about that? Who are the other founders? Who are the investors that are in that space? Who are, you know, community builders, influencers, even just consumers, just individuals talking about it, catching on to the trending topics? 
you don't have to feel pressured to saying something funny or inventive because there are some people yeah. whose Twitter games is strong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're just out there popping out jokes. I get right, thousands yeah. of retweets like it's nothing. Yeah, yeah. You don't need to aim for that. Of course not, you yeah. You just need to be visible. Yeah, cool. So one thing I wanted to talk about was a, a campaign, which I actually missed when it initially came out, but was recently put back on my radar. Um, and, and it's really a conversation around, like, the different ways we might use media or tech to send a message. So this yeah. is an, an Oxfam campaign, which is available on YouTube if you want to check it out. Right. The message of the video is the heist no one is talking about. Yeah. Um, it's a very visceral video, to use yeah. the word that Mike When you Mike sent it used. to me, I was like, wow. <laughs> it is so good. Yeah, it um, really gets you. So just to put it in a nutshell, they are trying to highlight the fact that when companies here in the West don't pay corporation tax, money that is often funneled from Western governments to provide amenities and basic resources Mm. in more in developing countries, particularly like healthcare, that that pot basically dwindles when corporation tax isn't paid. And the way that they deliver this message is through a very engaging Almost like a film, wouldn't you say? Yeah. So the setup is you don't know what it's about. You just see people going through a hospital and pulling plugs, pulling like uh, health machines, monitors and everything and taking babies out of incubators, like really harrowing stuff that you're watching. And the men are all dressed in like black. And you're thinking, what is this? Like, why are these people going through a hospital and just effing it up and just like really hurting people here and, and taking away their medical supplies? And then at the end, they hit you with... Yo, if companies ain't paying their taxes, this is, is essentially what is happening because yeah. there are things that happen in the world that are unseen, right? Exactly. So, and that damage of not of companies avoiding corporation tax and not contributing to the you know the national pot is unseen. It's hard for us to envisage the ramifications. I mean, boy, someone needs to send it to Jeff Bezos, I guess. <laughs> like well, this, this is, is like so email this is it to Jeff I, and like all the CEO is like This is why I wanted to bring it up because, you know, this is a tech podcast after all, and tech companies are probably the biggest offenders when yeah. it comes to dodging corporation tax. I've just pulled up some quick numbers. So how crazy is this? In twenty fourteen, Facebook paid four thousand three hundred and twenty seven pounds in corporation tax in the UK. Now let's bring Wild. it up to more recent figure. Amazon made nineteen point five billion pounds in European revenues. On that, paid fifteen million. Crazy in tax. So not, not to the UK government though, to the whole of the EU. Yeah, right. So um, I used to work and, at Amazon. And, so there's the Luxembourg as the official headquarters. Yeah. So and you know how much of that is in the UK is probably oh, it's nothing. Tiny. Probably nothing, right? Facebook, um, UK operations paid 5.1 million pounds in corporation tax last year. That's crazy. So how do we as a society, but then also as a tech industry, start to hold these big players more accountable? Because, you know, having worked in these organizations, the argument is always, oh, you know, everyone's doing it. If if you don't play that, <laughs> that game, that old classic no, moral argument. Like, oh, they, they did it. <laughs> they did it. Right. Like, you know, we become less that's competitive. Sophist- that's a sophisticated argument. <laughs> we become less competitive if we don't also, you know, have a base in Luxembourg or Switzerland I mean, the, 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 or Ireland or wherever the tax is low. The solution will never come internally from those companies because, like you're right, in just basic game theory parlance, they're thinking this is what all the other operators are doing within the system, and if we don't do that, we won't survive. The system has to, the solution is external. Governments have to do this and the people have to put pressure on governments to enact these laws. I feel like if you're a company that has any kind of offshore um, setup and then you're using it to trade within the UK, there has to be some kind of an additional tax. 
like bare minimum. Yes. I remember Starbucks was the worst. Like they, even though it's not tech, but you know, Starbucks would sell their coffee beans from the Netherlands to the UK at an inflated price to reduce profits mm. to make it look as if we're not making any money in the UK. Yeah. But really the profits are being siphoned off to the, the lower tax base, right? So these, obviously these accountants are ingenious with what they do. Um, so there has to be some kind of external pressure. The, gov- the country- companies themselves are not going to do anything. The companies are acting in their own rational self-interest. And, and until governments have the spine to do anything about it, yeah. the status quo will remain. Right? To what extent are we complicit in this, though? Because we are using these products. Yeah. And- you know, we work for these companies. And um, when I think of, let's say, an organization like Facebook, it's such you've got like four offices in London, for example. Mm-hmm. I've been into their offices, pretty swanky. Mm. Um, I feel that we, either as consumers or operators within the organization, should be holding the companies more accountable to the communities in which they're operating. Mm. Because it feels strange to me that Facebook, for example, could employ thousands of people in, in this country, but then only play a very tiny proportion of tax because a legal loophole mm. basically effectively lets them be based officially, technically in another country right. where tax is lower. I think we're complicit in the sense that we allow the media to distract us and, mm. you know, a significant proportion in the UK, for example, if you ask them what is the, you know, the pressing issues in this country, a lot of them would say stuff like immigrants, um, Especially if you look at how Brexit was played out, you'd think that immigration was the number one, you know, cause of any trouble in this in this country, and it's clearly not the case. If you're looking at why the NHS is underfunded, um, corporations dodging taxes is obviously a much <laughs> more important uh, sure. piece of the puzzle, and it's not the Bangladeshi nurse that's causing the issue here, right? So we're complicit in the sense that we allow ourselves to be distracted by the media um, and not focus on these things. Um, but what can one as an individual do? And that's always the hard part. Yeah. You know, it's difficult, really. I can give you the cliche answer of, you know, support your local bookstore and don't go to Amazon. But I'm going to be a hypocrite because I often shop at Amazon. So it's, it's I ain't got the answer, Sway. You know what I mean? So, cool. like... Well, this... Um, Abba, what do you think? Come on. <laughs> I'm not You're saying I have the answers either. Me. Like, I, I turn it to the audience. I'm, I'm always curious to hear ways that we as individuals can be more accountable to the standards we want to see in the world. And I think you've given some really helpful suggestions there. So we'll see. I'm going to leave it at that.